0: I'm Ray Rogers, you're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. We've seen the headlines detailing extreme weather from around the world, devastating flooding in China, Europe and North America, wildfires in Canada and Greece and burning down along the west coast of the US. Leading scientists agree that these trends are a direct consequence of climate change. And although climate change affects everyone and everything here on Earth, the immediate impacts aren't felt equally throughout all of society. According to a September 2021 report from the United States Environmental Protection Agency or EPA, socially vulnerable populations, especially racial and ethnic minority communities across the United States, are disproportionately exposed to the highest impacts of climate change, whether that's from flooding to change in air quality, extreme temperatures and more. To discover how the cloud can help solve for this dynamic and challenging issue with flood risk mapping, analysis, and visualizations, I chatted with two team members from the Urban Systems Lab at the New School. Christopher Kennedy, the assistant director of the lab, and Pablo Herreros centiz research fellow. Their work on the environmental justice of urban flood risk and green infrastructure solutions explores the environmental justice considerations of climate change related to urban flooding in four U.S. cities and how this knowledge can inform green infrastructure planning moving forward. This work was supported by the Amazon Sustainability Data Initiative through AWS Promotional Credit. The Amazon Sustainability Data Initiative seeks to accelerate sustainability research and innovation by minimizing the cost and time required to acquire and analyze large sustainability datasets. This research is also supported by the Kresge Foundation's Cruise Initiative. Take a listen.
1: My name is Chris Kennedy, and I am the Assistant Director at the Urban Systems Lab at the New School um, here in New York City. What's really unique about the lab is we bring together designers, scientists, practitioners to really work together on complex questions about how sort of cities um, interact with different systems, ecological, technological, um, social systems, right? And we really have a goal of trying to provide, you know, informed decision-making to cities, especially under-resourced cities through data visualizations and um, research that really answers questions about how we can improve the conditions of urban areas.
2: My name is Pablo Herreros Cantis, and I'm a research fellow at the Urban Systems Lab. I basically have been in charge of carrying out the modeling research and the data analysis and collaborating and engaging with some of the organizations that we are collaborating with on the ground in the cities that we
0: study. And how did the Environmental Justice of Urban Flood Risk and Green Infrastructure Solutions Project very first get started?
1: We know that urban flooding, for instance, coastal flooding and mud flooding, um, is actually accelerating and getting worse in some parts of the U.S. And so we were connected to the Kresge Foundation, who has this wonderful network of organizations all over the U.S., the Cruise Network, and we were talking to them um, about some of the, the goals that they had, and we decided to really sort of investigate this issue of ur- urban flooding and how it might be impacting certain communities disproportionately, and the need to really provide cities with, um, you know, especially small and mi- medium-sized cities, the information and the resources they need to support decision-making, you know, where are they going to put green infrastructure, um, and how can it benefit those most vulnerable to climate hazards, um, such as flooding.
0: You just mentioned a key word, green infrastructure. What exactly does that mean and what does it look like?
2: Green infrastructure basically refers to a solution that is being used more and more in cities to handle stormwater. Uh, it, it, and it has uh, different sets of benefits. It basically uh, takes advantage of some natural processes such as infiltration and evaporation to handle precipitation that falls in the urban environment that would otherwise go into the sewers or the drainage Um, and instead of that it stays in the soil uh, and it infiltrates down to the underground or evaporates.
0: What kind of equity and environmental justice issues does the project explore?
1: In this project we're really looking um, especially at medium-sized cities across the U.S. and And really taking into account sort of vulnerable um, sort of social um, indicators. So, you know, if folks don't have access to health insurance, they don't have a car, they happen to live in a multi-housing unit um, or don't have access to green space, right? They tend to be a little bit more disadvantaged when it comes to um, uh, handling an extreme weather event, right? And so we're, we're sort of trying to map that spatially looking at social vulnerability indicators, but also these climate hazards and overlapping them to really understand those relationships.
2: In some cases, people live in certain neighborhoods because they cannot afford living anywhere else in that city or because this is a city that might have been redlined in the past and the distribution of different races and ethnicities this is still at large in parallel to, to the maps of that, that the city traced in the 40s. And I really believe in the power of, of these maps to show the overlap of the distribution of where the environmental hazards are worse and where people live as a way to put the foot in the door about how the policies of the future need to take this into account to not repeat errors of the past.
1: In, in general, in a lot of U.S. cities, there's a, a long history of you know, banking institutions, mortgage institutions not providing the resources for certain communities. And so there's literally these maps created that said this territory is not going to get the funding it needs right, to, um, to have a successful housing um, or gain access if you're a particular race or ethnicity.
2: And while these maps were used to guide private banks, the homeowner's Zone corporation developed this map under under request and economic support of the federal government. And that builds a very impressive thesis that, you know, there is the legacy of segregation is very tied to America's government.
0: Yes, and to the present, I think that there can sometimes be this feeling that all of this happened in the past, but there are these ripple effects that are still very strongly ingrained in the fabric of America today.
2: It's also infrastructure development and the, and, the, and the way in which major highways were planned and constructed, cutting right at, through neighborhoods. In fact, in Syracuse case, which we were talking about, you can totally see how a uh, highway, which nowadays is in the process, there's a huge debate about whether they should and how they could remove it. When that highway was constructed, it left on the left a uh, minority community. That still nowadays is one of the areas that is suffers of most socioeconomic problems. And on the right, Syracuse University's campus.
0: So you've mentioned Syracuse um, a couple of times, and you're currently studying four cities. Syracuse, Yonkers in New York, uh, Milwaukee in Wisconsin, and Elizabeth in New Jersey. How did you select these cities, and why are are these areas of particular interest?
2: We were careful in selecting cities where at least had some common attributes, such as uh, suffering from fraud risk or uh, having a a visible legacy or reputation of segregation issues, which is not that hard to find. And also, we were looking for locations in which we... We understood that we were going to be able to connect uh, with organizations or municipal governments that will be interested in collaborating with us from the very beginning.
0: So why is flood risk unevenly spread across different communities and which communities are most at risk?
2: Impervious surfaces are um, anything that doesn't allow water to go through. So you can can talk about buildings, uh, but also pavement roads, sidewalks, and it has been shown already with relative consistency that formerly redlined neighborhoods and neighborhoods that have a higher percentage of uh, minority populations have more impervious surfaces. And you also have to, again, keep in mind why people live where they live and how it's linked or tied to the legacy of segregating segregation policies, or more modernly, more nowadays, gentrification too.
0: Talk us through what your simulations look like. What exactly are you modeling? What data are you using to run the simulations? And what are some of the findings that have most piqued your interest thus far?
2: We use data that can provide a proxy of where the water goes and where it stays, such as the topography and the distribution of green areas that will slow down the water or infiltrate the water into the ground. And buildings, which both contribute water to their their surroundings, but also act as blockages for the surface runoff that will clash against the buildings and then be rerouted in another direction. When we first started this project, we knew the questions we wanted to ask. We didn't know how to answer them. We did know, however, that we needed some kind of modeling approach to then try to predict where water goes in the cities and where it would go if we intervene in one or another way. And we were very lucky to come across this the model that we're using, which is called CityCAT and was very generously provided to us by Vasilis uh, Glenis and his team of researchers in Newcastle University that simulates water in real time, every fraction of a second. When we first got the model, we got it, we received a demo that was going to illustrate how the model works. And the demo was a floating simulation of a very small area. I was able to run it in my laptop and visualize the results. When we started upscaling the area, of our model simulations, we very quickly ran into a wall and realized that our computers was not going to be able to get even close. We soon learned a lot about the power of cloud computing, and I didn't know how to start, and it took me less than one single day to deploy an Amazon Web Services instance. and without telling anyone just try running a simulation there. And as soon as I saw that it worked, I was then able to to go to my teammates and tell them, we might have a chance to go on with this thing that we want to do if we explore using a bigger machine.
0: And so after running the full city simulations, what are some of the things that you have found?
2: In Syracuse and in Milwaukee, there is a very clear, very very visible distributional injustice uh, based on the observation that communities that are most exposed to flooding are are also communities with higher poverty rates, higher unemployment rates, um, and even higher percentages of communities of color. The, The locations where we have not observed distributional injustice so far might give different results once we are able to incorporate more accurately the behavior of infrastructure, because infrastructure is also very tied to injustice and disinvestment. And what what we might be able to do by doing that is unmasking the injustice of infrastructure performing better in some locations and worse in others.
0: What are your ultimate hopes for the project? Um, what has the impact been so far and what are you hoping these cities are able to take away from it?
1: And really what we're hoping to do is, as as Pablo said, is to be useful as much as we can to really make sure that informed decision-making takes into account these kind of issues of social vulnerability, these climate risks, and um, help cities to better understand where to put green infrastructure investments. And I think this is incredibly important, especially as the Biden infrastructure plan um, will hopefully get passed in some form, there's going to be a, a large influx of funding and cash. And, and we've sort of seen that a little bit with our work at Yonkers. We were able to collaborate with Groundworks um, Yonkers and Groundworks Hudson Valley. And, um, and really the, the work that Pablo did was now informing a feasibility study that's really looking at where should GI be placed in Yonkers um, that, that takes into account Um, where people of color live and all these social vulnerability indicators um, to hopefully, you know, sort of convince city agencies to make those right decisions. What
2: we have so far been exploring in our work is focused on the distribution of current flood risk. And we already know based on our work and also based on the work of other extremely valuable researchers and advocacy organizations that environmental hazards are maldistributed and disproportionately affect vulnerable, low-income, and minority communities. It's not only what is happening now, it's also where are we heading and how we need to consider that we need to make very, very cautious decisions on how to adapt to climate change in a way that doesn't leave anyone behind.
0: To discover more customer stories, be sure to check out our archives wherever you get your podcasts, or visit us online at aws.amazon.com/fix-this-podcast. To read more AWS customer stories, visit us at aws.amazon.com/solutions/case-studies. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag FixThisByAWS. Thank you to our guests, Pablo and Christopher, and thank you for tuning in. If you like today's show, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share. We'll be here on the next one.